Audio. This is a Crack Magazine podcast. The recording is taken from a recent conversation broadcast live and exclusively to Crack Magazine supporters. And this is a short version. To listen to the full version of all our talks and join the live Q&A sessions, then become a Crack Magazine supporter right now. Support independent journalism and support independent artists for just £5 a month. Head to crackmagazine.net slash support to find out more. My name is Chell Ravens. I'm very happy to be joined tonight by Kevin Richard Martin, known to us all as The Bug, uh, one of the ultimate electronic heavyweight acts of our era, one of the loudest live performers on earth. Uh, he's an artist who has his own unique and I think immediately recognizable sound, uh, whether he's making super heavy dance hall ambient science fiction scores or collaborating with doom metal guitarists. Uh, He's just returned with his first album as The Bug in about seven years. And it is a phenomenal slab of a record. Uh, It's called Fire. And it is perhaps his heaviest yet, I think, both in in tone and in content. Uh, Kevin is also a fellow West Country SKP and a reformed music journalist, so I feel a a certain kinship with his trajectory, I think. Uh, So welcome to our Supports Talk, Kevin. How are you? Very good to be here, Chell. It's been a long time since we chatted. Exactly. Okay, we're going to talk a bit about the album first, I think, because there's there's quite a lot going on to talk about. One thing I think that is immediately obvious about Fire is that it is a a political album. Arguably, I guess all all the Bug albums are quite political, but it's not that easy, I think, to write a political album and have it come off well and not sound kind of earnest or just naff. But I do think that is what you've, you've managed to do here. So can you tell me a bit about what the brief was and what it was that you wanted to make, especially after being away for quite a few years? Yeah, well, basically about three years ago, I offered Ninja Tune two albums to choose one. Uh, One was the Disfig album, and the other was what I'd referred to as I want to make my punk rock album. You know, I just make something that's just full of spite and bile, because it's how I felt at that time. And I was quite surprised they chose that one. (laughs) Um, which they did I knew at that point I wanted to make something that was just relentless I didn't want any lulls I wanted it to literally be like a steamroller you know just beware (laughs) when you listen to it for me at that time it just felt like the world was on the you know verge of being completely out of control you had populism rising in virtually every country you know and it populism and you know right-wing theologies nationalism racism that fall with that are just complete antithesis to how i think feel and live you know and um when you have donald trump (laughs) as a president in america you just know the world's taking a wrong turn in somewhere you know and boris lie 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 continuously to the British public, you name it. You can look at virtually every country three years ago and it just felt like politically, socially, economically, 
the world was falling apart. And that was even pre-pandemic. And that's when I was constructing the tracks, you know. The MCs didn't actually start recording probably till about a year ago. And I, I was basically, you know, crafting the album at that point, deciding what the album needed, who it needed, and how to form a narrative within that. But certainly from the outset, I think as a reaction to previous records I'd been working on, it felt very right for me to make an album as a sense of protest and just to address the chaos that I felt I was surrounded by. Mm. And that became even more amplified and accelerated as we went headfirst into a dystopian catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> so there are, there are a lot of guest vocalists, MCs on the, on the record. It is really a, a vocal record and lots of people that you've worked with before. And it does sound very much like you've given them a brief to just basically, yeah, be relentless, get as angry as possible, go as hard as possible. I was kind of curious if they had any contact with each actually, other. Oh, no? I didn't actually say that to them, Chell. I didn't say get what as angry say? as possible. <laughs> um, I basically just said to each of them, I just want you to spit about or speak about what makes you vexed on a daily basis. And however they chose to interpret that brief was down to them. But of course, because as you rightly said, this is like a purposely close-knit family by and large that I've worked with on the album where I knew what I was getting and I wanted that continuation of the live work we'd done together and just the friendships that had been nurtured you know and I knew their strengths they knew what I did and it, I didn't want any ill-fitting pieces of the puzzle you know and um, of course when they heard the rhythm tracks to record to they're going to be steered in a certain direction. You know, there's no doubt about it. Although the demos generally are very much more raw and minimal than the actual end products. Things deviate once once the mix downs go into action. So you've got people like Flo Dan, Ira, Manga St. Hilaire, who are all people you've worked with before, and More Mother, kind of, you've worked with a little bit before. Do you think, I mean, did they have any contact with each other in terms of like what they'd be writing about or how they would all appear on the record? I assume none. Hmm. You know, I, I can't say for sure, you know, but I would assume none. I'd say what's great for me in terms of the, the people I was very fortunate enough to have on the record, you know, is they're all sort of mavericks and originators. And that's why I was compelled to work with them in, in the past and continue, you know, to do so. I think for me, generic formula, style can be really, really nullifying and, and you know, boring through just being predictable. And I like people that are good at throwing curveballs and who've discovered their own voice where you'll recognize them within the first bar you know and certainly i think everyone on the album fits that to a t did anyone kind of surprise you with where they went with their lyrics that's a good question um Sorry, I'm actually really thinking about that one. I'm, <laughs> asleep. I'm actually really thinking back track by track because i'm going through it um no, I wouldn't say surprised as such, because as I said, I, I know pretty much what each vocalist's lyrical strengths are and where their interests lie. And I, I sort of knew what the remit was. So I don't think anyone was going to sing or, or spit a love song in the middle of this album. Uh, although that would have been interesting as well, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't have been adverse to that. <laughs> 
let's uh, let's just take a moment for more mother as well and uh, not least because she's also on the cover of crack magazine this month <laughs> um and you collaborated before on on your zonal project um which i guess was like a a kind of reboot of the techno animal project in a way right um which i remember seeing at corsica studios a few years ago which was typically loud very loud tell me what it's like working with more mother though because i feel like there's a a certain chemistry there which is perhaps you know even more intense than with some of the other guests and and perhaps perhaps because of the live aspect i don't know tell me about working with her well it wasn't technical as such it was zonal which for us is a different beast a sort of continuation but different Mm -hmm. uh, which we've done the album uh, wrecked with her ever since i first heard more mother Everything about her blew me away, you know, lyrically, tone, presentation, passion. She's just growing radically year by year as an artist, you know, and I just feel extremely fortunate to got into a dialogue with her. And we got on so well doing the zonal stuff, there was a, a window open to do some bug shows and I'd basically invited her to see if she wanted to play some bug shows with me, which we did in... Bristol, somewhere in Switzerland, I think, and ended up in Birmingham, Supersonic. And the Supersonic show for me is particularly memorable for good and bad reasons, because basically I managed to split my head open on the way to the stage, (laughs) (laughs) which wasn't the cleverest thing to do. And I subsequently heard people thought I was being a prima donna because we were late taken to the stage, but I was actually having a nurse swabbing my head because there was such a low ceiling that I didn't realise I was running towards the stage because I knew we were due to go on. I just smashed my head and saw her and Roger leaning over me, very concerned, and Roger just saying, oh my God, there's a lot of blood. (laughs) (laughs) And basically, once they'd stopped the bleeding, the show was due to start. The start was an introduction by Roger, which I'd invited him to, to recite poetry from his Portable Paradise collection. But then it was down to, whilst he was doing that, I was receiving treatment for my head wound. (laughs) Then it was down to me and Kame to get the ball rolling. It was a sellout show. It was the headliner on the Saturday. And I was completely concussed. Even for the day afterwards, I was concussed. And all I can remember is there was problems with the computer. And I was having to, at the same time, with a bleeding head, ask this guy who works for Supersonic to help out to get a replacement laptop while I just generated noise. And Kame, at this point, is just looking over me like I've gone mad. Like, what is going on? And I just had to scream across to her, look, just um, improvise. (laughs) You know, and she did it like a trooper. You know, just amazing. Astonishing, actually. And a lot of people subsequently said that they thought that was part of the show, that we'd done this, like, noise onslaught whilst I was changing computers and balancing one arm on a synth and another on a laptop just trying to get things to work. But it was very much off the cuff. And to see someone who's so on top of what they do in every way and not show any fear in that environment when it would be very easy to crumble really, you know, elevated her even more to me. And uh, I just know what she's capable of. And, and I loved what she, she contributed to the album. I thought it was extraordinary, you know. Mm. And no, no one around you thought they should advise you to not go on or not continue then? That no. was not an option, no. <laughs> no, not really. Maybe, to be honest, in hindsight, it would have probably been maybe advisable. But yeah, no. Wow. You've been a writer yourself 
um, as well. And I was kind of wondering about that and whether you ever feel the urge to kind of get more involved or if maybe you have like a stack of lyrics that never quite get used because you know this music really is a vehicle for lyrics ultimately I think on previous records I was quite involved when I was based in London a lot of the MCs would come to my studio direct and there'd be a lot more interaction Hmm. and Ricky Rankin uh, Daddy Freddy I was working with quite heavily with on the lyrics Roger doesn't need my help in any way but actually he respected the fact and I enjoyed just contributing ideas lyrically and Miss Red yeah I work a lot with her on her lyrics so Mm. yeah it's not I don't it's just on this album I did less so I think it, it was down to literally just the one chorus for Logan which I think the original chorus he had was move and I suggested nah change that to fuck off and he liked the idea, so it became fuck off. <laughs> Very poetic contribution there yeah. on the songwriting yeah, so credits. Not the most literary or intellectual, but it did the trick. <laughs> so, I mean, sonically, like it's quite obviously a, a bug record, but I really feel that you've established this sound that is just, it's so your own, it's so, it's so recognisable. But I was wondering, like, what kind of challenges does that pose, like, especially when you're a few albums in? How do you push yourself into new places? How do you kind of avoid repeating yourself or, or keep it interesting? And maybe is there anything on this record that is perhaps like a new technical achievement, even something that you're doing differently in that sense? Every album's terrifying when you know it goes into the public domain. <laughs> and for me, in my mind, London Zoo, there was a danger of it becoming an albatross for me. That That's the record people would always point towards, you know, regardless of how many other records I'd be responsible for, um, which is flattering that it had any sort of large underground impact. But at the same time, it weighs on your shoulders. Like, how do you keep following things, you know? And I just think, in general, I approach what I do as a craft, you know, and it's just, it's a constant challenge to continuously put a smile on my face in the studio and make me think, whoa, you know, and just try and get my jaw to hit the floor, you know, as well. And I'm continuously an addict for new music and inspiration. And I always think everyone's productions are better than mine. So it's, it's, that's enough inspiration in itself to keep feeling I've got to up my game, you know, and, um, Working on fire, I think it was also a very uh, conscious decision on my part. I felt I'd done a lot of collaborative work and I'd stepped off the the accelerator a bit and just went into, um, how do I say it, more atmospheric, more impressionistic areas. And I just felt the time was right to just unleash, you know, and I wanted that extremity and intensity you know, it's it's funny, I saw a review today in Resident Advisor where the guy made a big deal about saying it's the hardest, meanest record the Bugs ever made. To be honest, phrases like that, I find a bit off because when I hear hard, I just think of macho rubbish. When I think of meanest, I just think of theatrical villains. <laughs> and it, this album's got nothing to do with either of those things. It's got to do with just the protest in the face of adversity and just nurturing the passion that you have for music as a saving grace in particularly in the last year you know where you just basically like everyone we're in this situation where you're just seeing your world collapse 
shops and wondering how I'm going to put food on the table for my family, you know, and when I'm seeing every show being cancelled and last year, literally not think, not knowing how many years it's going to be before things get in any way back to normal. You know, so for as, as far as I was concerned, there was a lot of, there was so much, you know, contradictory and contrasting potential in working on fire, but I sort of had to curb my natural instincts, which is anyone that's followed my musical trajectory has probably realized if someone expects me to go left, I'm going to go right, you know, and I was determined with fire that I try and control my lack of natural discipline. <laughs> so that, the idea with, with fire was to improve the craft, but to um, fan the flames and just ignite a more exciting record you know i had no idea how it would be um welcomed if at all you know i think i was actually quite concerned i remember saying to my wife you know i've got no idea who is going to give a shit about this record you know and i i feared it would just be a ghetto record where it would just not go further than an existing fan base that i had and i also remember ninja tune calling me my label manager, Kiara, calling me and saying, well, where do you think this record's going to go? <laughs> and I actually remember saying to her, it's like, well, I'm not sure club people are going to get it, you know, because it wasn't made for clubs, this one, whereas other records I've made have had that very much in mind, you know. Um, and I said, for me, I just hope it would reach everyone that's just disenchanted, not happy with their lot and not happy with what they're seeing globally. You know, it's got nothing to do with um, masculinity, <laughs> again, which has, I noticed in this review today. It's got just a lot to do with a feeling of powerlessness. It's the opposite, actually, you know. And I remember laughing out loud when I read the quietest review, you know, about the, the Hulk um, transformation into this sort of monstrous machismo intensity well it's actually not this album is comes from a place of feeling utterly powerless and increasingly powerless in the world and just a scream it's more it's got more to do with you know a sort of existential scream like munch's painting or francis bacon's implosion than it has with metal theatrics <laughs> really yeah like the, using a term like hard or mean it's interesting because it's like a I mean, firstly, it's sort of an, an aesthetic rather than like like political kind of quality, I guess. But it's also it's like it's like the opposite of the thing that would need to be prescribed to deal with the situation that we're talking about, I guess. Right. Like it's the hardness and meanness that gets us to the point where this record is written. It's it's that, is that what you know, it's that that brings us to 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 populism, to Trump, whatever, I guess. Um so the, the album actually ends on a track called The Missing, mm -hmm. um, which is about the Grenfell Tower fire. And it's uh, it's written by, it's a poem by, by Roger Robinson. It's actually, it's quite a difficult listen, actually. It's about the people who died. It's not really about the sort of the politics around it, the kind of like the scandal around it, the the the, the column inches, etc. It's really about the, the people. And I felt like it wasn't a very redemptive ending. It wasn't necessarily a... A hopeful ending? No, maybe not. Although the finger was strictly pointed with that poem, um, but it's the humanitarian side of the poem that moved me. Uh, I was almost in tears the first time I read the poem and just completely struck by it uh, psychologically. And 
Roger at first told me clearly he didn't want to touch the poems with music. And I had to ask him slash beg him <laughs> a second time if he would recite the poem. Because I, I had it in my head that this should end the album, you know, as soon as I read the poem. And I was working on the album for three years. So I knew what I was trying to gravitate towards. And for me, it's just resonance emotionally, you know, and just to try and just raise empathy because empathy is anything that's going to save people on this planet. <laughs> really. I was totally and utterly, you know, devastated when I read the poem and even more so when the news story occurred and to see so many victims in that situation due to a government's complete dispassionate, uncaring selfishness, which could lead to such a disaster and then to not even, you know, address it and make a wrong into a right in the same time, you know? And yeah. Yeah. Horrible. And the fact that, you know, one, two, three, four, four years later, it's the same, it's the same government still who are even more popular than they were then. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's the feeling. But does that reflect where your head is at at all? Like, do you feel, do you feel hopeful at all? I love life. You know, I think ever since my son struggled, uh, struggles in his first year, it changed me as a person dramatically. It made me value and realize how fragile life is, which is obvious. It sounds like a really trite thing to say, but when you spend like four to six weeks in an intensive care unit with a soundtrack of alarms and sirens all the time, it has a huge impact on you. It just taught me how to value life. I think, like everyone, troubled times troubled years and always thought never really felt that my music was ever dark <laughs> you know which is something I've harped on about recently because people continuously referring to this album for instance as being dark <laughs> well how can I make it less dark with title and artwork and presentation it's 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 explosive and it's intense and it's impassioned it's passionate and that's all got to do with my you know lust for life Unfortunately, I'm not religious and I don't feel there's anything after the one we get. So all the more reason to try and maximise every second and minute. To hear the full conversation, become a Crap Magazine supporter and log into crapmagazine.digital. Crap Audio.